Come on down to the Law Student Lounge with your host, Attorney Ryan McKean, where law students like you tell their stories. So pull up a chair and join us in the lounge. Hi, it's Ryan McKean, and I have a fantastic episode of the Law Student Lounge with uh, Katie Bowie, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I am, um, I have, I've, I've known Katie was going to law school. I know Katie's mom, Elise, who's a fantastic divorce attorney in uh, Seattle, Washington area. So welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So, Katie, you are a rising 2L at American uh, University School of Law in Washington? Yes, that's here in D.C. So, yeah, good good point. D.C., Washington, um, um, I think from being from the East Coast, I just... I don't think of this. I don't necessarily think of Washington State, but you are from Washington State. So let's let's start there. So what makes you go all the way across country for law school? So I was living in Seattle in the last few years of high school, and I decided to go to Smith College in Massachusetts uh, for undergrad. And so that brought me to the East Coast originally. Um through that experience, I became really interested in politics. And so I knew that after I left Smith, I wanted to be in D.C. Um, so I ended up in kind of a random path of PR and media relations for about five years after college before I ended up going to law school. Um, so I always sort of knew I wanted to be on the East Coast, but came to D.C., you know, specifically because of my interest in kind of being at the center of things politically. So, yeah. And let's 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 explore that a little bit, because I know a lot of lawyers, you know, they're inter- they get into law because they're interested in policy. When you say you had a sort of, a, you know, winding uh, career doing political stuff, I think um, I, I know some of the background here. And I think you're, you're maybe underselling it a little bit. Um, can you can you talk about what you did in those five years from Smith uh, to law school? Sure. So I started out working in a, a PR firm that did political communications for campaigns and elected officials and um, all on the Democratic side. And then um, after that, I worked on a presidential campaign for Secretary Pete Buttigieg when he was running for president in 2020. Um And through that whole time, I was super interested in the fight for reproductive rights and just seeing things taking such negative turns so quickly. Um, And shortly after Pete's campaign ended, I got the amazing opportunity to be the press secretary at NARAL Pro-Choice America, um, which was an amazing and also heart-wrenching experience. And so I was there actually through May of this past summer. So just a month before the decision in Dobbs, you know, just doing a lot to get ready for that and um, kind of trying to prepare for the fallout there. But there's really only so much you can do to prepare. Um, Yeah, but I've spent, you know, and a few other things along the way, but have just done a lot of political communications, really trying to shape messaging specifically on the issue of abortion rights and um, kind of sounding the alarm about how bad things were getting. And now I think people are kind of starting to become aware, but it definitely was something that I think a lot of us were taking for granted for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot to unpack, unpack there as well. Did you know, 
Now you grew up, uh, your mom's, your mom's an attorney. Did you grow up thinking that you maybe wanted to go to law school or not at all? Or how, how does that impact your, your life or decisions here? So actually both my mother and father are attorneys. And so I definitely knew that I was interested in being a lawyer. I sort of resisted it a little bit out of fear of just looking like I was going to copy my parents, you know, um, and also, it's just so expensive that that <clears throat> was something I was really giving a lot of thought to right out of college. I was not that thrilled about incurring a lot of debt. Um, and I really wanted to make sure it was the right decision. Um, you know, in hindsight, I think I probably could have gone a little bit quicker to law school and not really, you know, lost a lot in terms of you know, just the experience in the real world before that. But everything worked out for a reason. Um, and this feels like a really good time to be in law school, but also a wild time. Like the state of the law is just in a lot of flux. I'll say, I mean, I, I you know, I look back, I, I graduated law school in 2005. And so much of our constitutional law was based upon, you know, Casey, Roe, Griswold, and like now that's all kablooey and it's just it's like you know i don't know i mean i think you understand and maybe some law students and lawyers out there listening do but like what that means for actual individual rights in this country it's it's um and what those cases actually stand for beyond even reproductive rights um and like it's just it's I mean, that whole, all that time I spent with constitutional law, all the stuff I learned on the bar exam is just gone, um, essentially, um, which is, uh, yeah. which is, you know, terrifying to me as a, as a lawyer and uh, citizen of this country, for sure. It's, do you? It's really scary. We'll, we'll come back to, we'll come back to, do, do you want, is now, some people, do they go to law school and they don't know what it is that they want to do? You sound like you have some ideas here. Do you want to continue with political work after law school? So I definitely went to law school thinking I wanted to do something in the reproductive rights sphere after law school. And I was particularly interested in the intersection of criminal law and reproductive rights and how there's just such an increasing number of people being criminalized in this space and a big need for attorneys with expertise in both areas. Um, since I've gotten to law school, I have become even more interested in the criminal law side specifically. Um, and this summer, I'm actually working on um, doing court-appointed juvenile criminal defense work here in D.C., um, which has been just an amazing opportunity. And again, heart-wrenching. I just, you know, you can't really know how bad it is for these kids until you see it. Um, but that experience has just like completely changed for me, my focus. And I think I'm really interested in public defense at this point. And I'm actually doing another internship in the fall with the D.C. Public Defender's Office to work on the adult side and really get a feel for that work as well. Um, but I think down the line, there might be an intersection for me of the two. But currently, I'm pursuing more of the criminal law, criminal defense track. That's, I mean, you know, some people, they go into law school and they know sort of like, I want to go and I want to do this. And some people, maybe more like myself, like I find, I found myself along, I found 
what I wanted to do sort of along the way. Um, now, did you go in thinking that you wanted to do criminal work or, you know, when did you sort of not become so interested? Much. Okay. I mean, not so much, honestly. I, I've i always been interested in criminal defense just kind of broadly, but I, I didn't really know if I had the stomach for it and I knew that it was really hard work. Um, but just since I've been in law school, I think I've become a lot more interested in just making sure I'm using my legal education and like the privilege I have and everything like that to do something positive And that feels like it's actually good for society and like helping people on an individual level. Um, and I think, I, you know, the imbalance in our criminal justice system in terms of resources and you know, everything like that, where criminal defense attorneys are having to do so much to advocate for their clients. And I think that just really appealed to me. Um, and then when I ended up pursuing this opportunity this summer, I realized that that was just magnifying tenfold for me when it comes to children. Like they're just, it feels like, you know, there's no child that you can really give up on in our world. And I feel just this immense desire to be fighting for these kids and working on their behalf to, you know, try to turn their lives around and get them on a better track. And I mean, and make sure, you know, their rights are actually being respected throughout this process. I think that's the other piece of criminal law that really appeals to me is, you know, standing up for the rights that people are inherently afforded and that I think sometimes, you know, when people don't have the best resources, get trampled. Yeah. And what now what what would the intersection of reproductive rights and criminal law like what would that what is that? Yeah. So there are a lot of states currently that are under these total abortion bans that have criminal penalty. I think there's about 13 right now that have criminal penalties. Um, and a lot of those penalties are not like insignificant. They are pretty substantial. And then in addition to that, because of the fall of Roe, states have been able to interpret the word person, child, things like that in their constitution and in their code to include a fetus at any gestational age. So things like child abuse laws can apply to someone who's pregnant or say, speeding too fast on the highway could become a child endangerment issue if you're pregnant. Um, and so attaching a lot of criminal penalties to people's behavior during pregnancy and to the decisions they make about continuing their pregnancy or not. Um, and so there's kind of a small sector of criminal defense attorneys that are specifically working on the criminalization of pregnancy. And this is just so targeted towards women of color, you know, people with little resources who are just really easy targets for this system. Um, and I mean, I just off the top of my head, there's an organization called If When How that's doing a lot of this criminal defense work. And it was a lot, you know, even back in like 2020 or 2021. And now it's just exploded. Um, so that is certainly an area I'm really interested in. And, um, I'm actually writing a comment for Law Review about um, the equal protection issues that that 
brings up and the fact that women can be criminalized for certain behaviors that men who exhibit the exact same behavior cannot be criminalized for just because of their pregnancy status. Wow. I mean, and and yeah, I mean, you hit on so much in what you just said, and I hope people out there can can listen back to that as to the consequences of these of these decisions and the real life impact. I mean, this is we're talking about people's freedom, people being incarcerated. We're talking about systemic poverty, racism, gender, all wrapped into uh, all wrapped into one thing. Now, if you're if you're doing that work, like I'm, you're in D.C., I'm in Connecticut. Um, like that's not a thing in Connecticut and probably not DC either. Are you going to be, are you going to be looking for employment opportunities in states where that is a thing or are there organizations? Like what is, what is uh sort of, you could wave a magic wand and like, where would you look to work? Um, assuming you wanted to go into this. Yeah. I think if I do pursue that path rather than just sticking with more traditional public defense, um, I would probably look to be employed by one of the national organizations who does this work and they then work on these cases kind of in a like second chair capacity to some local attorney on the ground. So they might not be barred, say, in Oklahoma, but they're helping uh, prepare for these proceedings. Um, I mean, there is an appeal to being on the ground working on these issues like, you know, in Texas or Oklahoma or Louisiana. But I also just totally candidly have fears about doing that for my own, you know, life. And like, I want to have kids and I don't want to be in those environments pregnant, you know, and I think it's really scary to think about actually living in some of these states where the laws are so restrictive and the healthcare is so limited. Um, and so that's definitely kind of an internal battle of how effective can you be from the outside and also, you know, what personal sacrifice are you willing to make to do the work? Um, so that's definitely something I'm still navigating. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. That is, I mean, look, if you're out there listening, like this is America in 2023 where you have, you have Katie here who, you know, any state you should want somebody like Katie working in your state, working on behalf of people. Um, and you know, you're as a, as a, as a woman, you're forced into thinking about all of these things, um, uh, that is, that is immense. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, look, yeah, as a lawyer, um, you know, uh, it's complicated and, you know, I, and I, I think it's, I think it's interesting too, um, we are doing. Uh, we are suing a gun manufacturer, uh, Ruger. Oh, um, we are suing them uh, for the mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado, at King Supers uh, grocery store. And uh, we have uh, six of the ten uh, decedents' estates, uh, and we're bringing a claim based upon unfair trade practices in Connecticut, where Ruger is headquartered. And um, you know, we got asked to partner, and we. I'm, not going to say exactly what yet, but uh, because it's going to come out in a few weeks. Um, but we got asked to partner with a national organization that does this, um, and so they identified our case, and they're like, "Let's pour. We want to pour resources, both in terms of money and lawyers, into this." Um, and so I, I think that that is a whichever path you choose. Like I think that there's there's an enormous um, opportunity there um, to connect. Um, and and to do good because now we're dealing with 
we're dealing with specialists who deal with this issue all over the country um, and whose sole focus is, is, is doing this. And so we have access as, uh, as in our case, to experts in, in all of this and also people who look at the bigger picture um, because, you know, invariably these issues will end up before the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and, and um, you know, so, so having that and, and, and you know, look, we, we have obligations to our clients and to advance things and, you know, and we're also and they are also concerned about the overall state of the law um, because, um, you know, anyhow, it's so I think if you're out there and you're in Katie's position, yeah, think through these things. But, you know, to me, there's no. Uh, you can do a lot of good, whatever, whichever path you choose. Um, I know it's immensely helpful to us um, with the support that we are receiving and our clients are receiving uh, through mm -hmm. massive, massive, massive national organization. Um, so that is... That's amazing. Yeah. That and, sounds yeah. just like, I mean, like an amazing, you know, just such deeply impactful work for those people, um, life-changing and uh, I mean, just after suffering such tragedy, I think, you know, feeling like you have people on your team and real resources behind your cause has to be, you know, bring some amount of comfort. And I mean, just talk about a relevant topic in today's. Unfortunately, these things are happening almost every day. They they are. And whether you're, you know, I think I think, look, like these important societal battles are going to be fought in the courts. <laughs> like the, the, like the, the change uh, will, will unlikely come out of legislative bodies and will more likely come out of, of, of judicial uh, bodies um, um, where courts and individual state courts and appellate courts and up to the US Supreme Court are making these very, very important and impactful uh, decisions. Um, and, and so, you know, and this isn't something you know, that's going to go away um, because, um, you know, uh, look, the, the, the current court that just, uh, you know, that that issued the job decision is still there. Um, they're not <laughs> the, the, the composition of the court is not changing tomorrow. Um, and the process of uh, changing, you know, appellate judges, federal uh, circuit court judges, district court judges, state courts um you know this is a this is a battle if you're into one of these things whether it's it's civil rights or women's rights or gun rights or anything like this is this is a you know 40 year battle as far out as one can see uh, that is going to be fought and we need lawyers to do it we need absolutely need lawyers uh yeah now did uh you know look i i think law does not happen in sort of a, a vacuum. And since we're talking about this, I mean, you go to law school, we're in 2023 right now. Um, so you take, uh, you know, LSAT 2021, 2022, that kind of thing. You know, were you, were you or are some of your classmates sort of inspired by what goes on with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd? Is that, does that play into things for you or your classmates? I definitely think so. And just in some of my reading when I was applying to law school, I saw law schools speaking about that specifically and saying they thought they had seen real increases in applications due to just like the racial justice movement in the United States and such a resurgence for, you know, pushing for equality and equity. And people also feeling like, you know, 
these things aren't getting fixed. And so maybe I really should just like jump in here. And I think some people who maybe wouldn't have necessarily thought law school was the right path for them have rethought that decision in light of just everything that's been going on over the last few years. Um, I mean, and I think for a lot of different people across both sides of the political spectrum, the Trump administration years were very galvanizing and I think led a lot of people to different types of action. And I can, you know, speak to my law school and there's a lot of people who were in college during that time or part of that time who really changed what they wanted to do. Like I can think of people who majored in neuroscience who are now at law school because of their interest in getting involved in more civil rights type work. Um, and so, you know, and I think depending on the location in the country that you're in as well, that might be different. But here in D.C., like people are coming to these law schools and to the district to get involved. And you don't really usually end up here by accident. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of people with you know, a focus coming out of, like you said, the Black Lives Matter movement and the erosion of a lot of our individual rights um, who, you know, feel spawned to action, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, I, my, my favorite thing in talking with law students, so many times I come away with, like, I just think, look, I've been at this almost 20 years and I come away thinking like the kids are all right. Like, like I'm optimistic <laughs> about, about, about the future because look, we're, we're talking right now and you know, in, 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 in somebody out there who's listening, you know, the law student of today, 20, 25 years is going to be the judge of tomorrow. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, some of you will be on uh, appellate courts and write big policy decisions, but equally as important, some of you will be, you know, state court judges and you will be deciding uh, whether or not, uh, you know, somebody gets sent to jail for something uh, that has real, real impact on them. Um, and so having a generation of lawyers who are, attuned to those issues like that's why it's it's a long battle um you know really for the for the for the soul of this country um um that will be fought in the courts um and i think if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're inspired by katie's story about going to law school or you're in law school like yeah like we need you we need you and and, and, mm. and again i i mean i make no qualms about hiding my politics i i i everything you've said about reproductive rights and Black Lives Matter, I, I absolutely agree with. But equally true, as you would say, on the other side, like this is where this is going to play out. Um, so exactly. uh, now going, let's, we've, we've talked about some heavy stuff here. Um, can you talk about how you, because um, a lot of people out there who listen to this podcast are thinking about going to law school, you know, how you prepared for the application process and the LSAT can you just share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so as far as the application process, I started really early. Um, to be honest, it was, I'm trying to think what year was it? It must have been May 2021. The Supreme Court had said, yes, we're taking up Dobbs. Literally that night, I, you know, so they granted cert. I was like, I can't, like, not go to law school anymore. I have to go. So I started in May, reaching out to old professors, trying to get my recommendation letters in line, really thinking about what I wanted my personal statement to be about, and just giving myself this long runway to tweak things because I knew, you know, this is kind of like this little packet is their one snapshot of you. 
Like you don't really get a second chance to get these admissions officers to look at you. Um, so I, I spent the whole summer, you know, just trying to be really intentional, do a lot of drafts and refining of my personal statement. Um, and then I was studying and preparing for the LSAT as well. And I took the October LSAT. Um, I was actually part of a horrible group and situation where the LSAT system went down in the middle of the test and they had to reschedule us for the next weekend. It was truly traumatic. Um, but I did feel like I had enough time to prepare. And honestly, I was pretty committed to not taking it again. And so I knew that I was going to be just moving forward with the score that I got. Um, I also know that that is not the case for a lot of people. I, my, one of my closest friends in law school, she took the LSAT four times that I just could not have handled that. Um, but I think from an economic perspective, like the LSAT is the thing that is going to get you money from a law school. And I mean, I personally think that's really unfortunate that there's not a more holistic assessment for, you know, merit-based aid than the LSAT. But that's really like the primary metric that's being used. Um, and so getting a higher LSAT score, if you are really apprehensive about taking on debt, is worthwhile. Um, it's definitely worth it, in my opinion, to like give yourself three or four months to prepare for that. And I was working full time. So if you're not working, maybe it's a shorter time frame. But I think you really don't want to feel rushed in the process. Um then when it came to actually applying, I had a really hard time like narrowing down schools and deciding regions of the country that I wanted to be in. And I had always been told by my parents, you know, luckily I had two lawyers, which is also just an immense privilege. Like most people doing this process are navigating this and largely alone. Um, and my parents had really counseled me to not go to law school in a place that I could not see myself living because you just are building a network. You're, you know, interning locally usually. And to make sure I wasn't, you know, going to Timbuktu where I never wanted to spend any time after law school. So that that helped me to an extent. But then I also really had a hard time deciding where did I want to live? Was I only interested in? the East Coast, what I consider, you know, Chicago, LA. And so it came down to the wire for me on some of those decisions. Like I was in December, you know, during my applications, really like, is Chicago too cold? You know, so I don't have a ton of advice on narrowing it down, but I think um, apply early. That's what I did. I wouldn't wait till the end. Um, and you know, just give, put your all into your materials. It's, it's worth putting your best foot forward. And no, the first year of law school is, I mean, to me, it was the, the hardest year. And I think that that's true for oh, many, yeah. law, many, many, many yeah. law students, because it's sort of unlike, I think, anything that most people experience in undergraduate. Uh, one of my professors said, you know, if you have a liberal arts education, it like opens your, opens your mind. But like in law school, like the first year of law school, like cracks open your skull and it like really expands your mind. There aren't just two possibilities. There are now 64 uh, different possibilities that one has to sort of mm -hmm. think through. So if, if somebody's out there, like what advice would you give yourself? What advice would you give yourself uh, if you could go back a year about going into your first year of law school? Um, I think just really keeping up with 
your reading and writing skills. I luckily came from an environment where I was writing really frequently um, and doing a lot of kind of attention to detail, focused writing, like external materials. And um, I think legal writing, there's almost no way to really prepare for it, though. It's kind of a beast in and of itself. And um, I think just making sure you're, you know, practicing reading. I mean, the summer before law school, I, for the first time in years, because I had always been so busy, was just like, you know, I'm going to read for fun and for pleasure and really sit down and try to like absorb things. And I think that helped because the volume of reading in your first year of law school is really just tremendous and learning the skill of kind of getting what you need to get and ignoring the rest is, um, it's important. And I, it'll help you actually be able to tackle the volume. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of times people focus on the, some of the challenges in the first year of law school in particular, which there are some, but what are, the, what are some of the things that you really enjoyed during your first year, really excited you? I think, you know, meeting new people, meeting a lot of like-minded people who were all just kind of in the, these early places in their career for the most part, you know, I'm definitely on, I'm 28 and I was in the older end of folks, not the oldest, but like, you know, probably the oldest third. And so I was, it was nice to like be around a lot of younger people who were really inspired and kind of had just brought an energy to the academic environment. Um, I would also say the professors in my first year were a really formative um, factor for me. I think people who choose to be doctrinal law professors like students, they like teaching, they like their subject matter. And being taught by people, you know, who have a real passion for what they're doing, what made the process easier, but it also just like allowed me to build relationships. And, you know, constitutional law was something I have always been interested in. And even more so once I started taking it. And I would just go sit in my professor's office and like chit chat with him about, you know, what's going on at the Supreme Court or crazy rulings out of the Fifth Circuit. And we would, you know, really bring what we were learning in class like back to a contemporary conversation. And I found that super helpful. And um, it actually, you know, is informing like future academic work that I'm doing. And so I would say the first year is an amazing opportunity to build relationships with professors and faculty um, and don't have any preconceived notions about what you like. I thought property was just going to kill me. And it actually turned out to be one of my favorite classes. Um, so I think just have an open mind. There's, you know, so much can surprise you in the law. <laughs> uh, it really can. And going in with an open mind and finding yourself is all is all part of the journey. And you hit on something, too, where, you know, some of my closest friends in life are my first year law school classmates. Um, and geez, that that was that was uh, like 20, 21, 20, 20, 21 years ago uh, this fall. Um, and, you know, people who, you know, we've been in each other's weddings and, you know, see, raise kids, you know, together. I mean, obviously life takes you on different paths, but the ability to connect uh, both professionally and personally, like the people sitting in your law school class, uh, I think it's a, it's a unique experience to really form uh, some bonds. Um, unfortunately, all the professors I had were old and now they have since retired. Um, so, um, <laughs> but, but, but really, I think some of the, the bonds and, and watching people and, um, it's also just fun to like watch where people go over time. Um, because like, 
I feel like the first five years of being a lawyer, you're still really trying to figure it out. And then you start seeing people make moves in their careers like five, 10, 15 years out. And you're like, oh yeah, I saw that. Or that's awesome. Or, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, now, now my classmates are starting to become judges and, and then things like that. And it's all, wow. it's all, it's all wild. But those, you know, the people in your law school class can be, uh, your classmates can be a real source of, of riches in your life. Now you hit about, you hit on something about how you had, you know, two parents who were, were lawyers and how fortunate you were with that. Um, you know, neither of my parents were lawyers. Neither of my parents graduated from a four-year college. Um, and, um, so I learned I learned some things from them, but but what what would what was what are some of the lessons you took away from uh, being a lawyer from your parents, um, whether it's watching them or things that they told you uh, that have sort of stuck with you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that my parents are very different people, like fundamentally, and they practice different types of law. Um, but I think they both have such a focus on helping people and I so rarely heard anything about economic motivations related to being a lawyer I just sort of thought it was like this job where people really just wanted to like have their clients win and you know get the best outcome they possibly could for their clients and I think you know I saw my parents really become like passionate issue experts in the areas that they were practicing in and throughout the time that they were working really like narrowing focus and becoming you know true experts and I think that was something that really appealed to me as well like the idea that you can just kind of dig in in these areas of law and every time you're doing these cases you can become like better and better of an advocate um you know yeah I would say those things and then also just since I was a very young child, my parents used to say, like, law school changes your brain. You know, you see so much black and white now, but, you know, we both just see gray, you know, and things like that. And I think it did help me just go into law school with this idea that, you know, my current kind of binary of thinking is going to be changed. And, you know, there's so much less right and wrong when it comes to the law than there is in how we interpret things in society. Um, you know, and just, I think from an intellectual perspective as well, I mean, it was at times challenging to be raised by two attorneys, um, they're, you know, making me write contracts when I want to get a puppy about how many times a day I'm going to take it out. But I think it did really help prepare me just for this journey because, I mean, I think my parents bring a lot of the lessons that they've learned from the law into their lives and are very inquisitive and really strong critical thinkers. Um, and those are skills I want to emulate for sure. Yeah, that's um, my daughter. My Both my children are being raised by two lawyers. Um, so so <laughs> I, I hadn't thought of the contract thing with a puppy, but uh, point, point, point your parents. Um, uh, that does that does make uh, that does make a lot of sense. And you know, one of the things I've known your mom for probably seven years at this point, and one of the things too, and I, I want to see if, if you if you've taken anything from this is I've seen her grow, like, uh, uh, on like other journeys, like almost an entrepreneurial journey. Uh, in the past, oh. in the past decade, I think when I met your mom, she made she was very she had a 
very much a smaller firm. Like maybe it was her and somebody else and and has now sort of like grown and grown into uh, a you know a, a very well-known speaker in the legal industry and speaking about issues of gender equality and being a mom and practicing law. Like check out uh, you know your mom's podcast um, of maximum maximum mom. I mean anything that Elise does, uh, check out. Um, uh, now ha- has that sort of yeah impacted you at all or is that am I, am I right on am I am I conveying her story correctly here too totally I mean I think my mom has she's lived a lot of different lives just in my short life um and I could have never predicted my mom's career well I shouldn't say that my mom could always do anything she wants to do but I think one of her skills is setting her mind to something and just like almost taking it to the extreme. Like she's just going to be like the best that the thing that she's doing when that's the thing she wants to do. And when I started college, I don't even think my mom was barred in Washington state. I'm pretty sure she wasn't. And like she took her legal practice from when she was first barred in Washington to now, just like it's, it's almost unbelievable the speed at which she's grown things and just the investment that she I mean the thing that I see in my mom so much is her willingness to invest in people like the reason that she's so successful I think is because of her focus on culture and people management and really wanting to you know invest in her employees and that type of investment brings exponential returns Um, and so, you know, seeing my mom really chase her own dreams and, you know, expand her practice and grow her, you know, economic security and things like that has been super, super inspiring. And I mean, sometimes having a mom like that, you know, can make like, it's really inspiring. And also I'm like, when I'm sitting around on a Saturday, I'm like, I know my mom's not sitting around, you know, I know my mom's like working so hard. She's a really, really hard worker. And I think if it wasn't, you know, her law practice, she would be doing something else to kind of invest in people. And I mean, even at times in my childhood when she wasn't working, my mom was involved in like everything under the sun that you can imagine in terms of volunteer opportunities and giving back to the community. And like, she's just, she's a really caring person. And I think that has carried her very far in her career as well. You know, and that that's a really, really important takeaway for anybody out there. Like, you know, you can maybe you think you go into law school and you have, you know, one career. But in fact, I think being a lawyer, one of the great things about it is like you are ever evolving. If you're doing it right, like you are you are ever evolving and it's really you take skills and lessons and interest and and you can build and create like there is a room to be a creative there is room to change uh what it is that you do and look some people they progress from you know maybe they do you know they're assistant public defender then they're a public defender then they're a chief public defender and then they're a judge that would be sort of a a, a linear like a sort of a linear career path but most legal careers aren't bad at all. Uh, somebody may start off as a public defender and then they may they may get interested in uh, you know municipal work and then they do a general practice where they work with people and then you know maybe they found a company. Um, like it just it just is um, totally. you, know, you you are the captain of your career 
And if you're out there, it is your, I mean, really privilege, uh, I think, to be able to invent what it is that you want to do with your skills and time and talent. And it's really important to know that that can uh, evolve over time. Um, and, and, and where you start is not necessarily where you end up. Um, and then look, and so, for some people it is, some people, like, they went to law school, they wanted to be a tax attorney and they are a tax attorney 20 years ago that, but I think for most of us, most people out there, like, um, you know, law school does afford you a lot of privilege and it does afford you a lot of ability to sort of like choose your own adventure. Um, and if things aren't working out for you to change and if things interest you to engage, um, and, and certainly I, and, and knowing your mom for the time that I've known her, she's a example of that, um, an example, uh, a very inspiring example of, of that. And that's a, just a great, I think, lesson to sort of end our, our conversation on, um, you know, uh, Kitty, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Anybody who listens is going to get a lot out of it. Like I'm, Coming into my day, we do this. We did this call or, or this uh, interview early in the morning. I'm starting my day energized and optimistic about uh, the future of the practice of law, uh, the future of our country. Um, having met you, um, um, so but we're going to end. We're going to end on something just how, how we always end this uh, end the show. Uh, um, if you're at a you're at a cookout this summer um, and you order like a hamburger, veggie burger, whatever burger, we're going to call it a burger. Um, what are you putting on that burger? Oh, such a good question. Something spicy, like whether it's like pepper jack cheese or jalapeno, something like that. Mustard for sure. Tomato, no lettuce. Lettuce is just, to me, does not belong on a burger. It gets soggy. So I would say burger, something spicy, tomato, mustard. I I agree with you completely on there aren't a lot of wrong answers here, which is why I asked the question. Uh, but I, I, I think lettuce is a wrong answer. Like I do not feel it. Yeah. It adds anything into terms of taste or texture or anything. I it's agree. Often, it's often hard to chew. It often like contradicts the burger and the bun thing. If you're gonna, if if somebody's gonna put lettuce on my burger, it should be shredded lettuce. So it's like sort of minimizing mm -hmm. the impact. Maybe adding a little crunch, but. Uh, I, I completely agree with you on lettuce and Kitty, I, I, this has been uh, so much fun and I wish you so much success and all you do. Uh, and, um, thank you. Thank you so much. It was amazing. This conversation really inspired me and gave me a lot to think about, honestly. Thank you for joining Ryan McKean in the Law Student Lounge, where real law students talk about their real lives. Are you a law student with a story to tell? Learn how you can share your story with us in the episode description. And join us next time in the Law Student Lounge.